Welcome to Counterculture Parents. I'm Kurt Bruner, your host, and as always, thanks for listening. Not long ago, I was asked to give a presentation uh, answering the question, why is it becoming more difficult for parents to raise disciples of Christ in an increasingly hostile culture? So that presentation was recorded, and I've decided to share highlights of that on today's episode of the podcast. That'll run about 22 minutes, and then I'll come back and wrap it up at the end. Let me start with a picture from uh, uh, several years ago where my daughter was six years old at the time. This is Nicole, six years old. I went into her bedroom one evening and she was uh, writing in what looked like and what is a prayer journal. She had seen that mom and dad use a prayer journal and she asked my wife Olivia, can I get a prayer journal? And uh, here's some of what she wrote in her first entry into her prayer journal at six years old. Dear God, I love you and I believe in you. You are the Lord of everybody in the world. When I'm an adult... I think I will get married. Thank you, Lord, for my mom and dad. Thank you for my home. The most important thing is the Bible, which you need to make sure that the Lord understood that. (laughs) I will miss my mom and dad when they die. I was encouraged to read that. (laughs) But if I get married, I guess I will have fun to hug and kiss my children. I love you and Jesus so much. Then she says, I hope I will get married because if I don't, I will have to do all the work. And I read your mind, women. It won't make any difference, sweetie. You're still going to have to do all the work. And then she wrote, I wish Satan was nice. That's her last line in her entry. Uh, But he's not nice. And one of the areas where he is most not nice is his attack on the home. And there are reasons that he attacks the home. And there are reasons that our job is getting more and more difficult as we try to parent our children. I show you this picture, though, to say this. We've been parenting for decades now, literally, and with each of our children, it has gotten more and more difficult. The things coming at us, the things coming at us from the culture have made it more and more difficult just to disciple our children, and that's our goal, right? Our goal is to raise disciples of Christ, to raise children who love the Lord and who embrace our faith. When Kyle and Sean, our two older boys, were young, it was in the 90s, uh, they both spent pretty much their whole time in public school, and it was fine, and we were able to engage with the public school and kind of keep an eye on what, what's being taught and so forth, and it worked out well, and then they went on to graduate uh, to college and so forth in the public university setting. Um, but uh, the big issue at the time, when they were young, was, was this rise of video games. All the boys were, were getting addicted and hooked on video games, and we were starting to see some problems, and so we chose to not have video games in our home. You talk about making your child feel weird, feel odd, feel different than the surrounding culture, right? And that's what their experience was. Uh, We didn't have such a big issue with phones because then it was flip phones. How many of you just miss the the old flip phone, right? Wasn't that great? It was so uncomplicated. It didn't demand your attention 24-7. It was just flip phones. When Troy was coming up, all of the same challenges, but then now smartphones hit. Okay, and then with smartphones, it revolutionized what's dominating the attention of our, of our young people, right? And, of course, we were caught by surprise with this, as many of us are as parents, right? We didn't expect this. We just thought, well, wouldn't this be cool because then in an emergency you can get a hold of them? But I remember him saying to us at one point when he was into about the junior year in high school, he said, Mom and Dad, it's interesting. Because of the choices we've been making as a family and you've been making, even at church, I feel like I'm different, because I take my faith very seriously, and most people just don't. And so he was feeling that, thing, that, that, that tension of being different, of standing out rather than just fitting in 
with all that was going on around him. So that was Troy with Nicole, of course. Now every child has a smartphone in their pocket. And uh, there was the whole social media phenomenon. She is now 21, just graduated from college, has never had social media. You talk about not fitting in, right? If you don't have social media, you don't exist in these days, right? But that was her experience. We were making some hard choices. What we would now call, looking back, that they, they were courageous choices. We thought they were in some, some ways common sense choices, but they felt different. And then now we have Haley and Cody, and talk about a completely different dynamic just a few years later. Literally, just last week, we had to deal with the transgender issue with Haley that a few years ago we would have never anticipated. This is something we've got to talk to a young child about. And as they had a, a, a peer, a, a young person with them saying, well, you need to call me a, a boy even though they're a girl. So these are the issues coming at us, coming at our children. It's getting more and more difficult. But our goal, right, is to raise children who love the Lord, who are disciples of Christ, who stand out rather than just fit in. Standing out can be a good thing, but it also puts a target on you. It can be a bad thing because you're different, you're unique. Before I dive in, though, I want you to ask yourself this question. And at the end of my talk, I want you to ask yourself this question again. Is your primary goal as a parent to raise a child who stands out from or who fits in with the culture. Because that's the decision each of us have got to make if we're going to choose to be a courageous parent. Well, wait a minute. Can't they just, can't they do both? And by and large, you know, a few decades ago, maybe the answer was yes. But I think we're all becoming increasingly aware that maybe not. Maybe they are going to have to be quite different from the surrounding culture. And in many ways, we grieve that, don't we? But that's our reality. So it's getting more difficult. Distraction. That's the first issue that we face in the effort to try to disciple our children. We're just busy. And I I decided to unpack this. I only needed to show you two pictures. First, the picture of our minivan. How many of you, by the way, are in the minivan years? How many of you have a minivan? Let me see your hand. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you said, I will never own a minivan? All right. These are the SUV snobs here in the room right now. (laughs) Take a look. They think they're so cool putting the car seat in the way, you know, it's so much easier with a van. Just give in, right? Give in. Amen. If you own a minivan, that's right. We're not ashamed to identify with Christ. We have minivans. (laughs) So there's a picture of our minivan from the outside. Here it is from the inside. Enough said. Distraction. Life is chaotic. Life is crazy when we're raising our kids. Let's just face it. And so then we, the you know, pastor comes and says, you need to disciple your children in the context of the home. You're thinking, I can't even take a shower in the morning, right? Let alone. This is the reality. We, we are busy. And let's face it, we are too busy because we haven't prioritized. But so just one of the biggest issues we have is distraction. But I want to unpack some of the others. Do you realize demographics is one of the reasons it's becoming more and more difficult? Demographics. What do I mean by that? We live in a context where having a family, raising children, becoming a parent is no longer the norm in our culture. And historically, it always has been the norm. The vast majority of households historically in this country and around the world have been parents with children in them. That's no longer the case. That's now a minority of households in this country. Why is this important? One author, Mary Eberstadt, in her book, How the West Really Lost God, said this, We are in the midst of a profound change in American life. Demographically, socially, and culturally, the nation is shifting from a society of child-rearing families to a society of child-free 
adults. And when that happens, the priorities of the surrounding culture shift dramatically away from reinforcing what it is as a parent that we seek to accomplish. Uh, Time Magazine cover story was the child-free life when having it all means not having children. Uh, an author I spoke to, Jonathan Last, wrote a popular book just a few years ago called when, What to Expect When No One's Expecting, The Coming Demographic Crisis. Uh, I, w- I worked on a series of books on this topic, and, um, and, and so I dove in very deeply into what's happening demographically. Are you aware that it was about five years ago that for the first time in Japan they sold more senior diapers than baby diapers? And that's coming in our culture as well. We have an aging population. Uh, we have too few children being born and raised up for the percentage of elderly. And that's not the way economies work. Economies work that the old and feeble are the, the minority at the top, and then you have a large base of population of young at the bottom, and the economics work. They don't work when you flip it. And this is a global phenomenon. All over the world, governments are actually trying to incentivize their citizens to have children because they're seeing the demographic crisis underway. Uh, in fact, I, I was going to show you this ad campaign. Do it for Denmark. Now, I, don't, I can't read uh, the, what's underneath it, but you know what they're talking about when they say do it for Denmark. They say... <laughs> Make and have a baby. Now, there are ad campaigns like this all over the world. I travel a lot. And one, one I ran into, which is running, was running at the time in, in Malaysia. It's English-speaking as well as in Singapore. And I found the ad in Singapore that I, that I noticed. So I'm going to play a brief segment of a very popular Pop 40 uh, radio would, would, would be running these ads routinely on this thing called National Night. What is National Night, you may, may want to ask. Well, Why are you eating a mint, baby? So I can kiss you on the face. Why? Because it's national night. What? You see, this August the 9th, it's time to do our civic duty. And I'm not talking about speeches, fireworks, or parades. But I like that stuff. I'm talking about the stuff after that stuff. I'm talking about making a baby. Baby. You ready? Let go. The parade is long gone. The kids are in bed. Let's now watch fireworks. Let's make a miss then. Yeah. It's national night. And I want a baby. Oh. I know you want it, so does the STU. I ain't Merlin, baby. This is national duty. Let me estimate the details of our late night duty. Call, yes, y'all, I'll meet you in the hall. Don't wake the kids up, cause they'll be appalled about the stuff we gon' do in that bedroom. I'll take your breath away like a sonic boom. Come on, wave. Let's do it. Why don't we just declare national night? Let's all wrap it up and go home, right? And let's. Let's contribute to the, uh, to the birth rate in our country. You know, it, it, in one sense, this is, this is really funny. In another sense, this is really tragic because what's happening globally uh, to the global economy, uh, uh, to, to various nations that are just really struggling with the economics of this. And, and, of course, it's not God's design. God's design is that we would welcome the gift of children into our homes. But our culture is very much now moving in the other direction. So I want to start by saying I want to thank you. If you are a parent here tonight, uh, you've already made what I would call a courageous choice in a culture that's moving in the other direction. Just by the fact that you've welcomed children into your home, whether it's through birth or through adoption, you have made the first courageous choice. So give yourself a big round of applause, will you? I mean, whoever thanks you for that, I'm going to thank you for that. Um, in diving into the research uh, and, and finding out all of what's going on with demographics, I now find myself in a strange situation because when, you know how when a soldier comes off of a plane or you see him in, in uniform and you say, thank you for your service? I, I find myself obsessively doing that with pregnant women now. Hey, thank you for your service. So you're willing, someone's got to pay the bills in the future. Thank you for being willing to lay down your life uh, by becoming a parent. 
And in fact, to many, in a rising level of voices in the culture, you're selfish by being a parent. Now, the only one who could ever call parenting selfish is someone who has never had children. I know that. <laughs> but really, those who are investing themselves and pouring themselves into the next generation are increasingly feeling like, well, maybe this isn't as important as it historically has been seen to be. So that's the second reason it's becoming more difficult. All right, good. The third is, is, is defection, plain and simple defection. The reality is we in the Christian church are losing more of our own children to the world than we're winning unchurched people to Christ. And so we've all been part of churches like this church that are effective at reaching people who don't know Christ. But at the same time, there's a big hole in the bottom of our bucket. Our own children are walking away from the faith at an alarming rate. And because of that, we have defection. This is what's making it more and more difficult because your, your children no longer have that reinforcing community. In fact, they probably, with their peers, are facing antagonism in many ways. Uh, not too long ago, uh, the uh, head of the Barna Group wrote the book uh, called Unchristian, David Kinnaman, and I had a chance to interview him and talk about his book. Now, the book Unchristian, if you've never read it, it's actually quite a depressing book because it's, it's interviewing various people who self-identify as not Christian. So either they say, I'm not a Christian I'm because I'm, I'm, I don't have any faith or because I'm part of a different faith, but I'm definitely not a Christian. And they would, be, they would interview them to ask them questions like you would if you're doing an assessment of do you like Pepsi or Coke. I mean, they use some of the same type of methodologies and say, what, what is your impression of the brand Christian, of what it is to be a Christian, of the Christian church, of how Christians live and how they think? What do you think about Christians? Why is it that you are not a Christian? And uh, one of the things that is, was said in this book that is so striking is this comment. This leads to the sobering finding that the vast majority of outsiders in this country, particularly among younger generations, are actually de-churched individuals. I spoke to the author about this. I says, when I'm reading about the defection from Christianity, uh, the criticisms that are made are very interesting because we think we're talking to unchurched people. But really, the majority of those who are self-identified non-Christians in our culture are de-churched people. They had some of it as a child, and they said, I don't want it. They grew up being familiar enough with Christianity to say, yeah, I'm, I'm walking away from that. I'm rejecting that. Do you know when they come back, if they come back at all to church, statistically speaking? It's when they have kids. There's something that God has put in us that when we have children, we suddenly stop being self-obsessed, stop being selfish, regardless of what the critics say, and we start thinking about the next generation. And that includes thinking they need to understand who God is and why they exist and who they are. Nearly 70% of believers, those who follow Jesus Christ, came to faith initially as minors. There's a 32% likelihood of someone coming to faith in Christ before the age of 13. It drops down to about 6% for the rest of their lives. Now, do adults come to faith in Christ? Well, of course they do. But there is this limited window of time when we are most inclined to begin our process of following Christ and to ground ourselves in the faith. Less than half of children raised in the Christian faith embrace it as their own by high school graduation. The last statistic is actually good news. 89% of those leaving active faith say they had a weak faith experience where? Not at church, in the home. You see, we can go to the best church on the planet that has the most effective children's ministry, the most effective student ministry, the greatest program in terms of worship program and teaching and, and facilities. We can go to the best church on the planet. But if they're not getting in the home an incarnational expression and experience of the gospel, 
they will walk away from the faith. And it's not because of what is or isn't happening at the church. It's because of what desperately needs to happen in the home. That's the next reason it's becoming more difficult, defection from the faith. In a book we wrote uh, called It Starts at Home, we put it like this. If you have ever been part of a loving, healthy family, you've smelled the sweet aroma of heaven. But if you've lived in a troubled, broken home, you've breathed the foul stench of hell. Spiritual formation starts with making your home what it is intended to be, a place of intimacy and joy instead of isolation and pain, a little bit of heaven rather than a foretaste of hell. But let's say you do all of those things. You overcome the issue of distraction, the demographic uh, realities, and even the, the tendency of defection. And you teach your children to, if you will, swim in, in the water with a strong faith. Now we've discovered the fourth category, which is growing antagonism. And this is what we want to talk about, and this is why we're talking about courageous parenting. There are sharks in the water that our children are swimming in. It's hard enough to look, teach your children to swim, right? But then to discover you've taught them to swim in a culture that has circling sharks coming after them in terms of the faith because we have a spiritual enemy who seeks to destroy them. Uh, it was mentioned that I work with the persecuted church. This is a picture. Uh, Open Doors is our ministry. We, we both monitor and work on the ground in about 60-some countries around the world where Christians suffer the most persecution. Uh, on the right side there, is, I'm, I'm pictured there with the founder of this ministry. His name's Brother Andrew. And he was famous back in the 70s for a book that came out called God Smuggler. Because this ministry started with him as a young man, a young pastor, a young evangelist saying, I'm going to go help the persecuted church. What did they need? He went behind the Iron Curtain, and what he found that they needed, they couldn't get Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. So he began smuggling Bibles in his little VW bug. But in the process, he's also been working with, and our ministry has been working with, believers in many, many cultural contexts. One of the stories he tells is about when we began working with what we call MBBs, or Muslim background believers, those who've converted out of Islam into Christianity. And if you don't understand what that means in their cultural context, it's incredibly difficult. There are laws against conversion. There are laws against, if you're a Muslim and you have children, legally they, on their birth certificate, are a Muslim and they cannot be converted or you can be arrested. So imagine being in a situation where even if you teach your children your faith, you're then accused of, of those things, and you go to jail and they're in prison. So very severe persecution. But he tells the story of one Muslim background believer who asked this very strange question in our ears. Now that I'm trying to become a disciple of Christ, I want to understand, what is the Christian way to beat your wife? It was a serious question. It wasn't a joke. Why? To our ears, that's, what, do you, what are you talking about? To his, well, that's a cultural expectation. It's a cultural norm in the Islamic world. We beat our wives. So how do you do it as a Christian? What's the right way to do it as a Christian? Wouldn't have occurred to him that that was an inappropriate question for a follower of Christ. And he shared this story with me to talk about the fact that, Kurt, it doesn't matter what country you're in, whether it's the dominant worldview is Hindu or Islam or secularism in the, in the communist world or in the Western world, he says you have to ask yourself, how are we becoming products of our culture? and thinking and living like our culture that are not appropriate for a disciple of Christ. But when you're swimming in your own water, you don't, you don't think to ask those questions. But we need to, and we need to especially as those trying to raise our children as, as disciples of Christ rather than products of the culture. So what are the implications of this? First of all, Christian families tend to be passive products of the culture. They want to fit in rather than distinctive disciples of Christ 
They don't want to stand out. And what I mean by stand out is look and be different. None of us want that. And we don't want it for our children especially, right? But it's where we are. Pressure to fit in drives us as parents to shy away from the hard choices necessary to nurture Christian identity and character. And so our children are being shaped by the same thing that the wider culture is being shaped by. As a result, our young people are not prepared or even inclined to flourish in a culture increasingly hostile to Christian beliefs and virtues. But I don't lose hope. In fact, I have a great deal of hope. In fact, this gathering is one of the sources of that hope. There are families who are willing to make some of the courageous choices, but they do feel alone and they do feel isolated. The gospel has always, since the very beginning, been a radical call to a distinct identity, to identify with the kingdom of God rather than the kingdoms of this world. It's always been that. We've had the luxury in this country of not having to make such a strong distinction historically, although probably we should have, but we've thought we've had the luxury of not having to make that distinction, but that's changing. There's a new generation of parents, including you in this room, who I believe are eager for that call, for that radical call, and are disillusioned by what we might call the baby boomer model of Christianity, which is, hey, let's, let's, let's package it so that you like it, rather, rather than saying, let's call you to a radical identity in what it is to be a disciple of Christ. There are four parental choices that dramatically will increase the likelihood that Christian kids will stand out rather than just fit in. And that's what we want to call you to, and that's what this is all about. The first choice is you need to direct your child's spiritual formation. That is a parent's job. It's not the church's job. It's not the Christian school's job. It's not the whoever else job. It's our job to direct our children's spiritual development. And that takes intentionality, and it takes capacity. It takes bandwidth. So we've got to make the courageous choices associated with that. That's the first. Secondly, you need to steer their education. I need to steer my children's education. When I grew up, your options were you sent them to the local public school or they wallowed in ignorance for their whole life, right? Today you have a lot of options. You may have a great public school and then you can partner as we were able to do in certain contexts with our children, but you may not. Uh, but the point is you are the coach, you are not the spectator, okay? Steer your child's education, regardless of what choice you make in terms of schooling options. And there are many schooling options that you can choose. Regardless of the choice you make, you do not let go of the reins. You steer rather than outsource that. You guide their media habits, and this has never been more important than now with the advent of the mobile device in every person's pocket. This is enormous, and we're going to provide you with some tools that will really help you understand what's going on in terms of the brain development of your children, what they're ready for, what they're not. And it's not about shielding your kids, okay? It's not about that. It's about stop feeding them things that are toxic and start giving them a love for the good, the true, and the beautiful. And then the fourth choice is nurture their sexual wholeness. And I think you know where we are. As Christopher West has said, if you want to know what's most sacred in the world, look for what's most violently profaned in the world. And as it relates to healthy sexuality, it's violently profaned, but now we've reached a whole other level, and that is an attack on what it means to be human as an embodied person with the gift of being male or female. This is where the spiritual warfare is in our generation. And we as parents have to navigate these things. And we need each other. We need tools. We need encouragement. We need inspiration. We don't know how this is going to work, but we're going to lean into this. We're going to encourage parents. We're going to create a reinforcing community. We're going to give them tools. We're going to talk about these issues so that those who are trying to make these courageous choices don't feel alone and isolated and odd. 
Father, thank you for this gathering and thank you for every parent in this room. What a privilege it is, what an honor it is, and what a responsibility it is to be entrusted with children who are made in the image of God, who are your beloved children. Father, as we seek to raise them in a way that maybe is different than everyone else around us, maybe even different from many who we go to church with, Father, give us the courage, give us the creativity, and give us a positive sense of what it is you want to do in these children's lives through us and through our leadership as moms and dads. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Before ending this episode of the podcast, I just want to say thank you once again to those of you that are making the kind of courageous choices as parents necessary to raise disciples of Christ rather than products of the culture. So be encouraged that what you're doing is important and find a community of like-minded parents who can come alongside you, with whom you can share ideas, and so that maybe your kids can befriend other kids raised by parents who are just as odd as you are and we are by the standards of today's world. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Counterculture Parents is brought to you in part by dryfaithhome.com. We help churches reach and disciple busy families. If you appreciate this podcast, then I encourage you to support your local church, which is your most important reinforcing community.